police. Tell the sheriff I shot him. Who? Tell him he's still on the loose. Is this some kind of joke? I've been trick-or-treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. Welcome to the Film Effect Podcast. We take all things film to the full effect. I'm Ed. That's my cinematic life mate, Sean. Good morning, Film Effect! And before we get down to the nitty-gritty, I want to let you guys know that you can check out our ever-growing collection of previous episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, and wherever else you enjoy your favorite shows. Check us out on the socials. First at Facebook and Instagram, we're at uh, the Film Effect Podcast, and on our Twitter feed at it's going to be Film Effect Pod. And if you're old fashioned, got some emails for us. What's that address? The Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. Of course, and then ratings and reviews also help with the algorithm, and you too can help by leaving us your honest reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen that accepts such wonderful things. They say five-star reading a day helps the good things go our way. All right. Start out with some uh, shout-outs. Shout-out to his family. So we got first up here, Best Film Ever, who I just listened to their new episode this morning, actually, on the 25th anniversary of Twister. They actually shouted us out on the show and acknowledged McConaughey. So did they really? Yes, they did. Thank you guys so much for that. I was truly surprised to hear that, but also, on the other hand, very, very happy and uh, just appreciative. So thank you guys for the love. You guys are definitely one of the best out there. So, uh, yeah, Twister, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, You know, almost almost watched it again last night um, because me and Mandy were looking for something to watch, and I knew it was the anniversary coming up. Um, but we went the other way and I watched, and I watched, uh, surviving the game. I showed her surviving the game instead. <laughs> so, I mean, I liked it. Was, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, she, she, she dug it. It's, it's a nice little slice of 90 schlock cheese. Um, may yeah, or I mean, may not be coming soon to the Film Effect podcast. Yeah, no, we talked about that. Um, no, it's, I'm, I'm twisting. You couldn't escape it that, 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 that summer, man. I saw it. No, I couldn't. I, I saw it opening weekend. I, 
I didn't quite see it opening weekend, but I did catch it at the tail end. I remember going with my mom and a couple of the neighborhood friends. We went to uh, North Point to see it. Mm. And um, yeah, I've, I've been a fan. I really don't have much bad things to say about the movie. I've always yeah. had fun with it. Uh, I haven't watched it in quite some time. But I owe it a rewatch. Um, just real quick, loose memories when it comes to that movie is when it first came out on VHS. I remember buying it. And my seventh grade science teacher um, wanted me to bring it in for class, you know, to watch it spread out over like two or three class through two or three days. Yeah, and I just I remember bringing it in, and her like only concern being like cuss words and stuff, and I'm like, no, nah, it's not that bad. The PG thirteen ratings because of the uh, intensity and all that. It's not that, not that many cusses, dude. Seventh grade version of me was cringing almost every other uh, sentence with the shit drops and all these like, cusses and stuff. But we made it through. Well, to my surprise, I was I was expecting her to like just pull the tape out after the first half hour. But no, we watched the damn thing over two or three days. Like I said, it was fun, good times. I just remember. Um, <laughs> well, you know they had to recrop the version because they got that scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman's twig and berries are kind of sitting out of his shorts. You know about that. Yeah, right? the balls they, crop. After yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Testing. They, they crop that scene where he's on a lawn chair because his, his scrotum's hanging out of his shorts. Yeah, I do remember that. was that my story. first time seeing that dude, too, and he, like, had an impact. I'm like, man, this guy, I, what's up with this dude? There's something about this guy I'm going to keep an eye on. Yeah, that was my it, first time noticing Philip Seymour Hoffman. I believe it was mine, too. I do believe it was mine. And just, just real quick before we go, uh, go on, just the, the cast that movie features. Having not seen it in a while, I remember Alan Ruck being in that movie. Oh, yeah. Um, the, um, Sean Whaley, Whalen, the, the, the Got Milk guy being in it. Philip Seymour yeah, Hoffman, Sean um, Carrie Elways. And what was, Dude, um, the, Jake Busey's in it. He's a background character in the film. No, I know, know Busey's one of, one of Elway's flunkies. Um, yeah. And then I forget the guy's name. He's a director too, but the guy that the, the guy that plays the piano and eyes wide shut. What's his name? Oh, I know who you're talking about. I don't remember the guy's name though, but I knew who you're talking. I don't about. I yeah. want to say. Just, I want to say Josh Charles, but that's not it. No, it's not Josh Charles. He's uh, Baltimore you know, represent. I don't know. You know, but you know what I'm talking about, right? They got that, that tells yeah, yeah. you know Tom Cruise Fiorello's the the, the password. Here's a sex party. Yeah, yeah I got the guy's face in my head right now. I just don't know his name. Yeah, yeah, he's a director too. He was in a really interesting film I saw with with um um uh, Jeremy London. Nonetheless, uh, it's it's a film hmm. I caught one time called Human Vessels, where the two of them um are like EMTs, but they're hmm. fucking drug addicts, so they're like just snorting heroin and eating ecstasy the whole time they're out riding ambulance. Oh wow. Yeah, it's called Human Vessels, and it's it's the guy's first name is Todd. It's Todd something, right? I, I think so. Yeah, you're getting at something. I do believe. It's yeah, Todd yeah. Anyway, it's it's him and it, it's him and Jeremy London as EMT drivers in a little indie flick from the '90s called Human Vessels. It's pretty slick, man. We should track it down. Um, Todd Todd Field. Todd Field. That's it. We have a winner. He directed Little Children. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Getting back to the shout-outs here, we got The Rewatchables, who covered Lethal Weapon 2 this week. One of my least favorite sequels ever. Um, we Hate Movies, who covered The Simpsons movie this week. Don't they show Bart Simpson's junk in that movie? I believe so. We saw it then, then one of the whole shitload of us went and saw it that, 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 that night in the theater, weren't you there? I went 
with Venker for the midnight screening when it came yeah, out, it was, and the, yeah. the projector broke, and they, they split us up. All uh, right, no, I was. You might, I don't think too. you were with us. I don't well, think no, you were Matt, Yeah, because Matt and Jen were with us too, right? Maybe I know me and Lauren were there. I was and a girl. Joe was, was there, of course, and then the projector before the film started. But they broke and they split us up in the two theaters. Like we waited like an hour. The film was start at midnight. We didn't. It didn't start till like one a.m. almost. Man, I remember seeing it with a group, and I remember Venker being with it. But I don't know if they did. But you know, he probably saw it nineteen times that weekend. So. Oh yeah, you, you know Venker saw it nineteen times. He's the, the biggest <laughs> Simpsons fan I know. Yeah. So, um, the Paul and Griff show who covered Conair this week and Paige Avenue. Story of the year. Even if you're not a fan of their music, those dudes are the funniest, and I love listening to them when I'm doing episode prep every Friday. Um, we charted 120 this week in the U.S. Mm. 182, 182, ironically enough, in Australia. And shout out to our new listeners from Croatia, what? Portugal, <laughs> Iran, and Chile. Sweet Jesus. Yeah, man. Definitely. Um, also, we forgot to do it the last episode, and I wanted to make sure we did it this time. I um, want to mention that we have a merch store. Uh, you can find that. Where at, Sean? Uh, T, it was it Public, right? Tpublic.com. Slash, yeah, with two E's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, slash the dash film dash effect dash podcast. And you can find everything from T-shirts to hoodies to onesies to tote bags to mugs to tapestries to flags to banners to stickers. They got so much, and we have various selections of designs to choose from, including our limited edition montage design that we've mentioned on the show so much. Yeah, mine is actually set for delivery this afternoon. I'll check it. Oh, wow. So you'll be getting yours yeah. in a couple of days. Now, I'm getting mine. Yeah, mine will be here today. I checked while I was making the call. Oh, cool, wasn't there cool, yet. cool. Yeah, I'm yeah, going to order mine tomorrow, so can't wait. Yeah, my last night, it, it, was got, it got scanned out of Jersey last night, so it'll be here sometime today. It'll be here today or tomorrow, definitely. Then. Cool. And yeah, as it come out of Texas. It's supposed to be here. I, think, I mean, they're pretty accurate every time they, they come when they're going to deliver. They deliver that day. My mom got both of her things day was expected, so. Yeah, man. Um, and I know people are getting it because – Nick Browneller, he got his shirt. I saw the pictures. Shout yeah, you, uh, Mike, Mike, Mike Skierski came in Monday, but he he didn't get a chance to put it on and send me. A, he just sent me a photo of the shirt as soon as he opened it up on his way out for work. But he so his his is the one that got delayed a little bit, but he finally got his. So yeah, guys, he's, he's gonna send me a pic. And I'm gonna tag him when he does. You guys get the merch and make sure you take pictures and send it to our Instagram page. Um, or you can use, you can even do uh, our Facebook and Twitters, but we're trying to you know utilize Instagram somehow, and this is the way we're going to be utilizing that. It's photocentric, so send us your pics, and we'll put them on the page. Yeah, I believe um, uh, we'll probably get another pick from Brown on a day or two because his montage shirt. He he ordered his the same time as soon as he saw you know he sent it already. He, he sent it to the Twitter. Oh, he got I his. Have, I have the picture already. He sent that picture like four or five days ago. I was surprised Jeez, at how quickly it was. His shit's good. Well, you know why? Because he's in he Idaho. Expedite his stuff. Yeah, he probably pays. He probably pays for expedited shipping because he's in Idaho, and that's I noticed that most of the stuff coming out of Texas. So, 
I can't believe real quick. Whatever you're doing, Nick, let us know. (laughs) Yeah, for real, man. Mine's taking a week. He's getting them in three days, but he's probably paying for fucking shipping. Yeah. It's a good turnaround, though. I wasn't mad at the uh, turnaround for our original shirts. So you order it. You'll you'll have it within a week or so. Not not two. You'll have it within a week or less. Yeah. Um, All right. So current events. Um, got a couple. First and foremost, the trailer drop for Venom. Let there be carnage. <laughs> that was funny, man. <laughs> I have one gripe, and it's not even about the trailer itself. It's about the movie in general. Miss opportunity with the title, unless the film itself leads to the actual Maximum Carnage event, because Maximum Carnage, where this storyline spawned from, was huge in the early nineties. Do yeah. you remember it? I do, I do. I would. I, I wasn't an avid reader, but I remember it. Yeah, I remember it. The, I the just comic say, crossover. I, I had this. I had the uh, Super Nintendo version of the video game that had the. Yeah, I remember that. So yeah, it was a huge event, and I, like I said, unless this is leading to something that actually is Maximum Carnage, I just feel like this should have been called Venom Maximum Carnage. But again, I haven't seen the film, so maybe it's going to lead into something big. I, I, I really like Venom, man. It took a bad rap. I had fucking fun with it. I think it, I, I think it hit the right turn. I mean, yeah, naturally everybody was disappointed because they wanted Carnage as your villain. But let's face it, we got to set Eddie Brock up before you bring in the famous, you know, heavy, which did a good job. And I was reading an interview with Circus the other day after the trailer drop where he said, "This is." You know, at this point now, Venom and Eddie are been like together like a year and a half through the odd couple point in their relationship, trying to figure out how to how to cohabitate that little apartment. You know, because he's fixing a breakfast. Bon appetit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the gag when he goes in to the convenience store with the, uh, I said, Hi, the Mrs. Woman. Chen. Yeah, I like the way he talks. He's like, I am happy to eat, Mrs. Chen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to watch the trailer a couple times for that to grow on me. At first, I was like, "Oh Christ, he has his own like personality." But now yeah, it's like, but okay, it's not I'm Hardy doing him. the voice too. So Hardy, because Hardy's all in on this character, man. He's like all about. Oh, you yeah, know, he's sure. involved with with development every step of the way. So he's like, you know, he 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 developed Venom. And now that now that mm-hmm. Venom's established, that's what I'm looking forward to is seeing the dichotomy between the two of them. You know. <laughs> Right. I right. just I just like the way he talks. I said, hi, Mrs. Chen. I'm happy to eat, Mrs. Chen. See, I will be looking out for that this fall. I'm I'm, I'm excited to see it. So yeah. Yeah. I mean the first one wasn't that bad. I wasn't no, bad. It's, I just, it was fun, man. Yeah. I, I, I have to rewatch it. I haven't seen it since it first came out, but I liked it. Hmm. Um and second, have you been following this? Hollywood Farm Press and Golden Globes? Well, situation? I mean, I, I I told you we talked about um um the uh we're goofing on the um whatever whatever the the first time we we're talking about the award show or uh, maybe it was the golden globes yeah yeah we were talking about how they zoomed everything in um i told you they were they were like during the presentation they were they were fucking joking on not being diverse enough so that th- those those grumblings have been going around for a little bit it wasn't the Oscars. Yeah. it was the golden globes that i watched where you know, throughout their you know banter, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler were calling out the lack of diversity in the HFPA. So, I mean, I don't think they're like there's... Tom Cruise is sending them back, and NBC awards going back. Yep, I I don't think there's a more hated association in Hollywood than the Hollywood Foreign Press. 
I mean, I mean it, when they're talked about by just actors and, and, and filmmakers or just they, they just don't they never have good things to say about them. Reviewers. No one ever. I've never heard anyone really talk nice about the Hollywood foreign press. It's always negativity. You know, it's like a group of like it's like less than 100 people, like like 90 something. And it's like all the majority of them are just, you know, white people who just don't really have a clue. <laughs> Is that is is that what the major grumbling was, or just be or more than that? I mean, that's what's what it's. I mean, I, I'm I mean, sure I know that's what the big it, but that's how right it's now. always been looked at. It's always been looked at as just a huge group of just you know white people, white yeah, you know, who just don't really have a clue. And now they're like, oh, we're gonna make this promise, but it's gonna take us a couple of award cycles. It's like, nah. <laughs> you know, fuck that. So NBC. Oh, what, they, they they pro they promised to mix it up, but didn't they say they said about to give them a couple years? They told them it was going to take place like in early 2023 or something like that. And it's like that's two award cycles, and they're just like nah. So NBC pulled the plug. Netflix, Universal, all of them put out their you know posts about the Hollywood Foreign Press, and now it's just the HFPA versus everyone really right now. Um, when it comes down to it, um. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I've always looked at the Golden Globes as like the Academy Awards Junior. You're like a barometer. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nothing. I've never sat down and watched it. I mean, yeah, it it does get more recognition than a lot of awards because people do. You know, you you do hear the word the term like Golden Globe winner, Golden Globe nominee. You know, well, it's it's a broader spectrum because it covers film and television. So yeah, there, yeah, there, yeah. There's, there's more chance to market off of it. Mm -hmm. Remember, I thought right. you know Pacino got nominated for that Nazi hunter show. He sound asleep on the Zoom. Yeah, 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 yeah. He uh, exactly that hunter show. Yeah, you have to watch that. Yeah, me too. All right, so uh, weekly recommends. What would you get for a six-year-old boy who chronically wets his bed? We talked before we started recording. I'm going with the film that I watched yesterday that I got in from Criterion, Fast Times Ridgemont High. Well, Sue, I'll tell you, surfing's not a sport. It's, it's a way of life, no hobby. It's a way of looking at that wave and saying, hey, bud, <laughs> let's party. <laughs> Oldie but a goodie. Boy, I love that movie and that new transfer looks top notch. What are you recommending this week? Um, I went, I went old school, man. You know how much of a fan of this film. We rewatched, I rewatched uh, Taking the Pelham One, Two, Three the other day. Which version? Oh, come on now, the '74. Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. All right, all right. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bottle detriment and Denzel shit when I got when I got access to Walter Matthau and Jerry Stiller and Robert oh. Shaw for Christ. What, what about the one from the from the late 90s or whatever? I, I tried uh, to the one with Mark with Mark Wahlberg, the made for TV. I tried to track it down and yet to be able to lay eyes on it. Kind of like that Vigo Morton. No, um, not but, Wahlberg. Um Edward James almost I think is in that one. Yeah, but in I I, I nah, uh, who <laughs> Let me look it up. Hang on. Tell me I think it was Mark Wahlberg it was like a made for TV thing, man. It was Edward, Donnie Wahlberg. Donnie Wahlberg. Okay, see, I knew one of them was in it. Right. My bad. But it was, it was made for TV, though, right? That wasn't like a straight yeah. to video. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't laid eyes on that much. Like, uh, I'm curious, but you know, could care less about that Vigo Mortensen remake of Vanishing Point. You know what I mean? So, yeah, when you ask me which one, there's only one, in my opinion, because that film just, you want to talk about capturing the perfect. 
like it's like this and um uh dog day afternoon capture yeah. that era of new york like 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 no honor like mm -hmm. it's that dirty grimy 42nd street is not a safe place time in new york city and you know you don't really think of walter matthau as a lead in like an action or a thriller but it makes it work man zach garber's just a funny funny character um and you got like i said robert shaw hector elizondo um, a young Earl Hyman, who most people know as, as Wilson from Home Improvement. Well, now you get to see his face. He's one of the <laughs> um, Martin Balsam and his little you know sneeze that stayed mm -hmm. to the film. Love that, love that movie, man. Joe Sargent's uh, taking it to Pelham one, two, three. Give it, you know, pull the trigger on it, gang. I believe it's on HBO Max. I got the DVD, but I watched it in high def on Max. Just watched it the other day. Good show. Nice, nice. All right, um, Deshaun. Yeah. You don't know what death is. This is 1981's Halloween 2. I shot him six times. I shot him in the heart. He's not human. Universal Pictures presents Halloween 2. More of the night he came home. Who is it? There was nothing within him, neither conscience nor reason, that wasn't even remotely human. Is this some kind of a joke? I've been trick-or-treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. Janet, go tell Mr. Garrett we're having trouble with the phones. There is no place to hide. He will always find you. What's this? It's a Celtic word. It means the Lord of the Dead. On the show. In 1963, six-year-old Michael Myers killed his older sister Judith after the world's quickest game of hanky-panky with her boyfriend. Then, 15 years later, it's Halloween 1978, and Myers is now 21 years old and hungry for revenge. So he escapes and puts those self-taught driving skills to the test and escapes with North Chambers' car and hightails it back to his hometown of Haddonfield, Illinois. 
But first, he'll need some new clothes, so he murders a tow truck driver or mechanic for his clothes and then breaks into a hardware store for a white Captain Kirk mask and some rope. He spends Halloween stalking 17-year-old Laurie Strode with her friends, eventually killing her friends. He then attacks Laurie. He chases Laurie. He's stabbed in the eye by Laurie. He's shot six times by Dr. Loomis. He gets up and escapes into the dark Halloween night. Enter this film. It's your first time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically, that's my second time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to. I was thinking it. about that this morning. It was, I, I'm a, I would imagine it was probably on a cable run when I was in middle school. I probably caught it on like HBO or something. Yeah, for me, it was. Uh, I don't. I can't pinpoint the exact first time. I mean, I didn't. I don't remember like seeking it out. I mean, I told you that story where I found that 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 extended TV edit on on yeah. DVD when I was at the thrift store. Um, we'll but talk, I we'll never actively sought it out. You know. Um, uh, yeah, like I said, I, it, I don't it was, own it. It was an up all night staple, uh, which means I was on countless times, like when I was little when like USA and, and right. nightmare theater and stuff. Yeah. yeah, I remember. I, I know, I know I saw this before the original. Cause I remember the original being a late bloomer for me. And I yeah. discussed that in the last episode. So I definitely saw this before the first. Um, and it was a cable TV thing. that was always on when horror was playing. Um, yeah, I do. Outside I, I, the Elm I, streets and shots, please. You're right. I, I do remember, um, Catching it up all night because I remember seeing it there and being all pissed off about how truncated um, Grace's death scene in the hot tub was. Like, hey man, it's my favorite part. Where'd it go? You know? <laughs> so yeah, um, that that would that would definitely be you know for me. Um, story time. Tell me a story. Wait, like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. So it's a personal one with this. When I watch this movie or think about it, I automatically... I'm taken back to like when I was younger, every Halloween weekend, my grandparents would take me and Andrew uh, camping up, up in Gettysburg for the weekend. And they had like a haunted house and trick or treating on Saturday. And it was just, you know, a fun thing to do Friday to Sunday. And it was always the weekend before Halloween fell. And one particular week year that we went, I remember I just have memories of a particular night and watching this in the camper on the TV and I don't know. It just gives me a genuine Halloween feel whenever I see it. It, it, it takes me back to that night. Everyone out by the campfire, my stupid little redhead ass inside the camper watching a horror movie. And it, it being this, because it was probably on either USA or TNT or whatever local cable station they had on. But I do remember watching this inside of my grandparents' RV Halloween weekend. Can't tell you the year. It was early 90s, something like that. But I was very young. <clears throat> so that's a personal story that I have for this. Do you have any? Um, no, not really. I mean, it's like I said, I'd seen it a bunch of times, but there's nothing that really stands out about a particular viewing. It was just like, right. you know, a slasher sequel. 
You know, yeah, father course, picked right up where the latest one left off. I thought it was one of the first times I'd seen, or th th that I recall seeing that. I'm like, oh wow, we just like literally just jump right in where I was at the end of the last one. So I remember that, you know, being a little bit of a sticking point for me, like mm -hmm. making a bit of an impact. You know, but um, yeah, nothing. Like I said, I probably caught a bunch of, I did, you know, caught it on cable. I know I saw it unedited, probably on you know HBO or Showtime. Yeah, you know. Dipped in and out bits and pieces of those, you know, uh, 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 TV edits naturally. Um, and I mean, the other, uh, yeah, Monday's rewatch for me was the first time in Christ, I can't tell you how long 10 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh wow. Mm. I mean, it's, you know, I'd seen it so much and I remember what, what I, you know, there's a couple things that I picked up at least one scene in particular we're going to talk about that I didn't realize took place in the sequel and it's an iconic scene. So that, you know, kind of speaks for it. And I guess you're going to get into which, which parts, you know, um, or, or which scenes Carpenter is actually responsible for. Cause I know he came back. Oh yeah. Him, mm -hmm. You know, a little bit. I think I, and I've I, got I, that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it, man. I mean, like I said, there's not really any one particular instance that stands out to me. Well, speaking of Carpenter, that brings us to our exclusive category for these Halloween films, and that is The Blackest Eyes, The Devil's Eyes. The Blackest Eyes, The Devil's Eyes. And what I'm going to do with this category for the rest of the series is going to tell a story behind this particular sequel and kind of like tell you about the why and, and, and everything. You know, where, why there's a sequel, where it came from the background behind it before we get into the actual film because i feel like every entry of this franchise has a story to it honestly and this one's a, a pretty good one i don't know if you guys know the story behind this but so 78 halloween comes out huge success we talked about that in the last episode big big numbers for the movie uh compared to the low three hundred twenty-five thousand dollar budget that it was given and made one of the probably the most successful horror film up until the Blair Witch Project, I believe is the stat. And going back to this time and era, obviously producer um, Urban Yablins and Mustafa Akkad wanted the sequel. But Carpenter was pretty much like, guys, I produced a film for you. It had a beginning, middle, and end. <laughs> and yeah. I've got, you know, this film I want to do next called The Fog that, you know, I'm going to basically he was doing The Fog, writing that and, and prepping that and not really prepping. He was kind of like in early development of the film and, and writing it, the screenplay. And he was talking to producer Urban Yablins about it. Well, Urban's like, OK, we'll, we'll, we'll go to we'll, thinking that they were going to be in business together or staying in business together. He was like, OK, we'll, we'll produce this Fog movie, but then we need you to come back and do this Halloween too. Well, from the, that conversation to another meeting in that time span, Carpenter basically went and made a two-picture deal with Avco Embassy Pictures to do The Fog and Escape from New York. And this got back to Irwin, who was under the impression that they were going to do The Fog together, wasn't happy. Took, oh, yeah, Carpenter, yeah. took Carpenter to the court. And the result of that court was Halloween 2. Basically, the judge ordered, you have, 
I don't know the the, the exact details, but uh, more he, or less, he made a verbal commitment. There was an obligation to there might yeah. there, there there might even been an actual signing agreement. I can't remember, but because I'm, I'm actually telling the story off my memory because I've heard the story so many times. Um, basically, what happened now is the the judge ordered that he had to come back and at least write the movie. Yeah, he had an, he had an obligation. He had an obligation he, to. He had to do it. He had to do it for the company, and so he did it. He wrote this movie over like I think he said ten days and a bunch of six packs. Like he just drank and wrote, and that's why some of the stuff down the road gets pretty much negated and whatnot because he pretty much anger wrote this movie. Yeah, his heart wasn't in it. He's no, because he. He said that if anything, his idea and, and and Tommy Lee Wallace was also on board with this too. They were behind the whole anthology idea, right? Like we do another one; it's a separate story altogether, right? But they didn't want that. They wanted Michael Myers again, and he was like, "I gave you Michael Myers. Now I want something else." Well, they're like, "No, we want Michael Myers." So he was ordered, like I said, to make this script for this film that they got um, Rick Rosenthal to direct. And that is Halloween too. And then after it came out, the uh, test screenings and whatnot, that's where Carpenter came back into the fray because they weren't happy with, you got to remember this 1981. They went, it was three years since the original and the original was hardly any blood. Yeah. I mean, if it weren't for the language and nudity, you could probably get away with a PG rating for that movie back at this time. True. And, now, three years later, horror films, slashers, they're not like that. I mean, this is 81 when slasher films were at its peak. I believe the total is there were 36 slasher films released in 1981 alone. Yes, there were. I saw every damn one. And, um, well, that's why this film has the random blood inserts. It's not, it's not, you can tell that there was a lot of inserted shots in this movie. You can see it. You can kind of tell where Rosenthal's film went and then how Carpenter came in. Cause you know, the opening that's Carpenter, the anything with like an X amount of blood, uh, the close-up shots of death scenes, Carpenter. And that's, and this all happened behind Rosenthal's back. So a lot of, there was a lot of backstabbing going on and by the sounds of it too when it came to making of this film. And um, this is what we got. So let's talk about it. Here we go! Alright, man. So the film opens with the Cordat's version of Mr. Sandman playing with the text Haddonfield Boy October 31st, 1978 as we're taken back to the final moments of the first film. But with new footage and a new score, such as Michael now going off the front balcony instead of the back. And yeah, little- and you know what I noticed? He, you know, he doesn't. I, I didn't catch this until until the other day. But when he goes off um, the balcony, he doesn't trip over the ledge. He steps up and just does it. Does like a face. Well, it's a there's a platform there. I know. See, it's, it looks like he steps up on platform. a dresser. Yep. And he he doesn't trip over it. He just steps up and he's level and just drops off. It's a little. Yep. You know, like I just took six shots. Let me lift my leg and get up here. You know, what's well, funny because if you actually watch the film and count, there's seven gunshots, not six. <laughs> out, of, out of his revolver. Yep. And <laughs> Loomis 
finds Michael gone outside the front door in this film, whereas the last one he looks over the balcony and he's gone. So that's also different. And then while Loomis is out front and Michael is now revealed to be gone, just his uh, body print on the grass, the neighbor comes outside and tells Loomis that he's been trick-or-treated to death. And then Loomis replies, you don't know what death is. Yeah, you don't know what death to, is. The opening credit set to a cool pumpkin shot. What do you prefer, this one or the opening, or the first one? I mean, I prefer the first one. It's it's obvious with that skull and the jack-o'-lantern, you could feel you're in for a different tone, especially the fact that this score is now played on a synthesizer. I'm not yes, cool with is. that. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really not cool with that. It takes attention away. I okay. dig it. It was poppy at the time. You know, it's what it's what the kids were doing. It's, you know, it's, it's, it. well, it's a carpenter trademark. The synthesizer is something car- carpenter has always used outside of the first film. His scores have always been on a synthesizer, and that's why. Yeah, the but first the, the, so the, that, that first film being played on an actual like grand piano, it, it's it, it's classic. It's they strike. No, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's It strikes the right accord for tension. Where yeah. synth out, I feel I could keep looking for something that's not there. Like the 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 beat doesn't drop. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. listening to a CD versus a vinyl. I turn a CD up, it gets louder. I turn a vinyl up, it gets fuller. You know. Um, so that's I can feel the difference between analog versus digital, and you know I I, I, I don't know. It's, it doesn't take I like me out it. of the film, but I, I I prefer the original score. I like it, but I prefer the original. That's that's my take on it. So, uh, yeah. So the pumpkin shot goes in, opens up to a creepy skull inside with cobwebs. Picture goes into the eye, and then it comes to. Michael on the prowl in the alley. Um, POV shot. This is all Carpenter, by the way. Um, it's just him, from, like I said, the POV looking around, sees Loomis yelling at Brackett that he shot him six times, including the heart. He's not human. That's what he says to uh, Brackett as he's seen driving off with him. And then Michael starts spying on Miss Elrod, who's making her husband Howard. A sandwich and wants to know if he wants some mayonnaise or mustard. Harold, you want mayonnaise on your sandwich? How about mustard? Yeah, meanwhile, Howard's watching Night of the Living Dead. And this this is the this is the scene I was talking about where, like, for whatever reason, it's iconic because he gets his famous, you know, uh butcher knife. And I always thought it was I, I always thought it took place in the first one. You know, because really? even, even, um, they the even, yeah, the, the, with him spying on her making a sandwich and getting the knife yeah. off of the kitchen, because mm-hmm. they basically, you know, David Gordon Green recreated that exact shot yes. a couple of years yep. ago. Yeah, and did. I don't know why it's like always stuck in my head that that, that 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 was from part one, but he actually cribbed from part two for that, which, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not mad at it at all. I, lo- I loved all the homage that he did. Um, but it wasn't, yeah, I, I, I forgot that, 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 that that scene where he gets it's much like how Jason finds the hockey mask in part three, you know, makes it, you know, it creates an iconic accessory for the character doesn't take place until the sequel. So gotcha. I didn't, I, I didn't notice that till the other day. Yeah. Like how you mentioned out of the living dead, taking advantage of that free public domain. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it was public domain. So just throw it in there. See, it's cool. You see Michael in the background, take the, uh, uh, the knife from the carving board and then he walks away one thing i noticed here is that his mask is slightly different in this one the paint job you yeah see it in the background because his neck yes. has the, the flesh paint on it <clears throat> and um 
yeah, she he goes and she finds the bloody, you know, the, the blood all over the place and freaks out. Funny story, the guy I always mentioned from um Horace Hollow Grounds, Sean Clark. He yeah. owns that. He owns that car, car cutting board now. He was, going, he was filming um an episode on Halloween too, and uh, while he was there at the house, um, the old the old owner was. <clears throat> I think he passed away. He said because for years he wouldn't allow Sean or anyone to go film on his property, so he could never get footage there. But then he was there in the area, and they were the house was pretty much getting remodeled, and his the the got the old owner's daughter was there and let Sean come in and record the episode inside the house finally. And while he was there, he thought that the uh, the cutting board was getting taken away, and he was like, "Can I have this?" And she's like, um, "Sure." So he took it, and he had like. Jamie Lee Curtis and the whole cast of Part Two sign it. It's pretty cool. Huh. I like that story that he has it and shit. It's, it's all autographed now. So I mean, he's got he's got a lot of like videos. How, of, like, how can he be sure this stuff. guy still had the original cutting board? How's he gonna got and just replace the cutting board after you know so many years? Say that again. How how is he a hundred percent that that's the screen used cutting board? Like if the owner of the house is dead. How could he not attest to the fact that sometime in 1987? Because the old owner's daughter was there and she confirmed, you know, everything was that, just, it was, and you could just tell from it being the look and, and you can I'm see all saying, the like, you see like, Yeah, dad never bought a new cutting board after 81, so. Because it's a, it's a special, you can tell it's the same one because it's a pullout. It's a special pullout cutting board from the uh, drawer. Oh, yeah, just, okay. And you can, yeah, it's, there's no doubt that it's, it's the original that he has. So, um, <laughs> then we see that the next door neighbor, Alice, she can hear Miss Elrod screaming. So she goes to check and yell and hears nothing. So she goes back in, she's talking to her uh, friend on the phone who tells her about all the, the murders and that the killer's still on the loose. And she's being informed of this as Michael is seen entering the house in the background. And then she goes and checks uh, to hear, you know, a, a sound. And she walks into the front living room and bam, Michael jumps out, literally jumps out in front of her and stabs her in the chest and blood splatters up. Again, this is all Carpenter. This was added in post, this death scene. Yeah, I had a feeling that little jump scare was, was Carpenter. Yeah, this whole sequence was he just added pops in. up out of the bottom of the frame. Yep. So then we see uh, paramedics bringing out Lori from the Doyle house. Um, we're introduced here to Bud and Jimmy, as well as Jimmy Lee Curtis's wig. Yeah, good old Leo Rossi is Bud, man. I remember that too. Yeah, Leo Rossi definitely. I was a big Relentless fan growing up. I was gonna say, man, I love Relentless with John Nelson as a serial yep. killer talking. You know the cop. it. Phone yeah, man. Who was it? Uh, Leo Rossi and Robert Loggia, wasn't it? Robert Loggia also, and Meg Foster was in it too. Yeah, yeah, Meg Foster, right, right. Yeah, Relentless, man. I seen Relentless in a minute. I used to love that movie because I've never like, seen any of the sequels, but I've seen the original a lot. I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't bother either because, like, the, the the hook then was like, John Nelson was your pretty boy, man. He was, yeah, you know, he was, he was your Brad Packer. You 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 weren't expecting him to play against type. You know what I mean? So it was a little, mm -hmm. it was a little off putting to see him play a, you know, an unhinged killer. So that that was my appeal. I must have watched that movie dozens of times. I, I just always remember when he just leaves a girl a voicemail uh, the message on answer machines. Like, I was calling to see if you were home. I have to kill you tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was always on Showtime when I was a kid. Yes, I always yes, saw it. Yes. 
Yeah. So then we see a little boy with his mother. This little boy has a razor blade lodged in his mouth. Yeah, the old razors candy scare from the 80s. Now, you know, I, I don't know that that happened as much as the, I, it was more of an urban, you know, legend. I'm not saying it didn't happen every now and then, but it wasn't rampant, you know, widespread across the country. You know, I mean, it's kind of like this, a local urban legend. Exactly. Exactly. Because I remember <clears throat> right, right around the time I graduated, I remember, um, my my next door neighbor her, her, her kids were they they i just remember reading this little fucking pamphlet or whatever that got sent home to all the parents at the start of the school year similar threat about um older kids offering the newer kids candy that had lsd in it i don't ever remember that shit nobody ever offered me free fucking acid going into high school <laughs> you know what i mean and mom yeah. came down and showed me yeah. stuff. Is this really happened i said mom if it did i'd be eating all the fucking candy Plus, if so, people really had acid like that, you think they'd be just fucking right? Like, exactly. Like, oh, you know, are, they're they're dosing that. your kids up to freak them out. Not or not, they want to get five to eight bucks a hit out of them. It's like, come on, drugs cost money. They're not yeah, spending know, that right? money yeah, just so poisoning that, kids. That that whole razor blade in the apple shit was. I'm not saying it didn't happen. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm sure it happened. A couple poor kids. There's a couple sick fuckers out there that would do that shit. Um, but putting putting that scene in this film, um. It helped it, 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 it helped give the myth some legs for a while. Like, oh, see, it's really going on. You know, I don't know that it really happened like that. The scare was there every Halloween. Don't get me wrong. Make sure your parents check your candy. Ain't nobody in Dundalk ever putting their razor blades in their butterfingers as far as I know. Nah. And it, can I be honest real, real quick? Honestly, this, it wasn't until last year when I watched this movie that I realized what was actually going on for years yeah i, I couldn't I, you know I, like a broken tooth or something like right that. right i was gonna say because of the just the, the you know obviously now we're getting better clarity on the transfer i couldn't like i thought the kid had like a quarter wedged up in there like in between his teeth for all this time i just thought he had like a, a broken tooth or something yeah it was hard to see that razor blade I never, saw, I never noticed the razor blade thing until last year actually yeah, yeah, like it makes sense, and I kind of you know put it together after the fact. But all those times I was watching it because I'm watching it on like a VHS or just a standard, Dang. you know, a, a standard box TV w without any sort of 720, you know, 1080 clarity that you couldn't really tell it was in that kid's mouth for the longest time. I thought he just had like a, a, a silver dollar wedged up in there somehow. You know, I don't know why. And then naturally, I, I could tell silver dollar. For real, like I thought he just had like a big a, a big coin stuck up in there. I'm like my first time watching. I'm like, why does this kid got a quarter stuck in his, in his teeth? And my brain ended up. I couldn't. I, I couldn't figure out it was a razor blade till till recently. All right, then uh, you got Bud and Jimmy arriving to Haddonfield Memorial Hospital with Lori. She's brought in and admitted. Now let's talk about this Doctor Mixter. Yeah, is, guys played by like the poor man's Anthony Zerby. Yeah, but this is like, okay, he has to be woken from a drunken st a stupor and needs coffee. It's like, you really want to put, you know, this this girl's life in the hands of this drunk, hungover Well, they, they even like, said he was, when he got, when he, he was he on call, he was at the country club. They said he was at the country club. Yeah, and they, they said that he's in. probably, they, said, they mentioned that he was sleeping and he has to get woken up and given coffee. Because he actually, when, they, when we see him, he asks for coffee. 
Yeah, because oh. he because before he came in for a shift, he was drinking at the country club Halloween party. He, he came to work with with Lars Frode's parents, right? With Lars Frode's parents, he's you know he's the overnight attending physician at Haddonfield Memorial. So he decides to sling a few back, you know, yeah. <laughs> at the Daniel. Halloween. So you know, against Roy's will, here he puts her out. Um, now here's then, here's a note that I made though. Um, yeah, sure. The fact that they kind of sidelined Jamie Lee Curtis for a good bit of the film is that mm-hmm. was that purposeful because of her availability? Was it the rewrite that he did yes. that, that forced her back into it? I had a feeling like this whole film was supposed to focus on Myers stalking the hospital staff and Laurie Strode be damn one going to show up. They force her into it and then just had to sideline her because they can only get Jamie Lee Curtis for a week. So they can only give her a handful of scenes. I'm assuming that's why he puts her to sleep. And we don't see her for like, you know, a good 45 minutes to an hour. Because of availability, because I believe she shot this either before, after, or at the same time as um, um, Trading Places. What was, oh, Trading Places. And that's why Jimmy Curtis has the wig. That makes sense with the wig. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Because Trading Places. She has the wig because she cut her hair from Trading Places. Yeah, prom yeah. light came out the year before. Okay, this what was about terror like, This uh same year as this actually, 81. Okay. But this was kind of like Curtis's last hoorah at the time of being like in you know, a splasher horror film. She was trying to do it get away from this genre. And this was kind of well, like yeah, her I mean, swan I mean, song she, until X amount of years later. And I'm sure she did as a favor, Carpenter, you know, helped launch her career. So they've been friends ever since. So, of course, why not come back for John and do him a solid? Right. You know, and this I, is around I, the time we mentioned in the last episode as well, early 80s, where she was kind of like fizzling out. And Carpenter was like, nah, I owe her something. So he put her in the fog. Right, right, right. And gave her a decent role in the fog. But, yeah, like I said, I, I had a feeling that's why they – they literally shoot her up with Thorazine in scene one and sideline her for a bit is simply because she was kind of shoehorned into the story and they only had her for a limited, you know, they, they she was only available to shoot for them for, you know, a short period of time. So they had to work around that. And Not only I, that, you know, the, her role overall in this film is just reduced and you can tell, you know, that they only had her for X amount of days. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's fairly obvious. I mean, she pretty much shot all her shit in two nights. Oh Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, then we got Loomis and Brackett driving around searching for Myers. Um, I want to note something. I don't know if it was in the first film. I don't think it was. But in this in this scene and then this scene later on with Deputy Hunt and Loomis, there's a, this green light coming from the dash area in the cop cars that I've always kind of like liked a lot. You notice the, the green light? It's kind of yeah, like it was, a, it's, a I, I did. I did. I mean, it, it, it's it, it's more or less like an organic way to light the interior of the car. Yeah, I would yeah, think. yeah. You know, I like, um, I like, the touch I've always liked. Yeah, I, I like I like how, like, but at this at this point, man, Loomis is completely fucking unhinged. Yep. The guy is totally now, he's obsessed and lost his shit because he's not even paying attention to Brackett. Brackett's talking to him. And he's all exasperated. He's like, I'll tell you, this isn't a man. You know, he just. Yeah. <laughs> and he's talking to himself and shit. Yeah, like, he is. He's there. just like, he's literally, Loomis is now unhinged and obsessed with stopping, you know, the machine that is Michael Myers. So now he sees what appears to be Michael Myers, but is actually a guy who we learn is Ben Tramer, who is dressed up as Myers, but with blonde hair. And so he's Myers. 
and Loomis sees him and he turns around and starts walking away scared. Yeah, I was gonna say like, how- he does a he does a fast walk and doesn't run. I've always been okay. But then turns and is hit by a cop car and rammed into a a, a, a crew uh, van and explodes. 80s movie 80s movie explosion happens right here on the spot. Ben Tramer, rest in peace. Is that him? I don't know. Get back! Run! Go on, run! Boomer! Get back! Get back, you kid! Run! Boomer! Stop! Get out of here! Boomer! Stop! 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 And then Brackett here is informed that there are three bodies at the Wallace house, and one of them was Annie. Yeah, I forgot that the cops didn't didn't officially find Annie or the rest of the bodies until part two. Like I forgot that Brackett, you know, ends part one not knowing his bro his daughter's dead, mm-hmm. you know. I didn't realize that until now. And obviously this takes place in real time, picking right up. So it makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, I forgot that, that, that Brackett didn't discover Andy was dead until the sequel. <laughs> yeah. And and, I, like and, the, I like the tag too. The, I mean, the, the, the film poster is awesome. I've always dug this skull pumpkin formation poster. And I like at the bottom, the tagline more of the night that he came home. Yeah. Yeah. I've liked that. I've always dug that. And what's um, uh, what's what'd you say the deputy's name was? Hunt, Deputy Hunt. Can I say, man, this guy looks like the love child of Rowdy Roddy Piper and a guy that played Dauber on Craig T. Nelson's coach back in the nineties. Oh, the guy who does the voice of Patrick Star. Yeah, the guy who does the voice of Patrick. Yeah. Yes. From here on out, we shall be reported we referring to Deputy Hunt as Rowdy Roddy Dauber. I was on the fence about making a SpongeBob reference because you, you're right, but I never did put the. I never did. The, the the Roddy Piper comparison. He is. He's a love child of Dauber and, and, and the Hot Rod, man. So from here on out, let's call Deputy Hunt Roddy Roddy Dauber. Da, Deputy Hot Rod. We'll call him that. Deputy Hot Rod. All right. Speaking, <laughs> of, speaking of code names, Razortooth is sent home. Nurses <laughs> and EMTs are watching the news. The body's found in the, in the kitchen area. And then Jimmy. This is the first of many scenes where he goes to creepily go check in on Lori while she is yeah, out. Yeah, he's straight creeping on Lori Strode the whole movie, man. It's really unsettling. I've always been bothered by this creepness. Yeah, like, she's, she, she wakes up here, sees him. She's hopped up on, on, on painkillers, kind of, and is still in shock, and he's out of it. He's, he's all creeping on her like a stalker. Yeah, and then uh, Nurse Virginia comes in and um, sends him away. He offers her to get her a Coke, and then he's but he's grabbed by Bud. They got to go <coughs> on the run, pick up some more bodies. So, cut back to the Wallace house where we see a very young Dana Carvey. Mm. Did you notice this? No, I didn't. Is that him? Yeah, this is the first of two scenes of Dana Carvey. He's like a reporter's assistant, sort of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, think I, I think I did pick him up, but I didn't recognize that it was him. But I had heard that. 
that you know that he that he pops up in this. Yeah, Garth, Garth himself, ten years beforehand. So Bracket has to go tell his wife <laughs> before she finds out elsewhere about their daughter. Before he leaves, though, he lets Loomis know, "Damn you for letting him out." I uh, have to uh, go and tell my wife before somebody else does. Going home, Lee. Going home. I'll take care of everything. Damn you. Sorry. What have you done? I haven't done anything. You let him out! I didn't let him out. I, I gave orders for him to be restrained. Deputy Hunt is now with Loomis and tells him to get a dentist and meet him at the coroner's office in a half hour. So now back at the hospital, we're introduced to Nurse Karen, who has to take her friend Darcy home before she's late for work. The actress here who's playing Darcy is uh, Anne Murray Martin from Prom Night, who played Wendy in that film. Uh, we also see the Boombox Boy. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I love how the kid with the Stetson was like casually strolls through the scene with the expository, you know, dialogue blaring through the news report on his Boombox. Yeah, this scene is basically here to get Michael from point A to point B. Yeah, this it's, scene, it's, this it's added in. filler. This scene was added in after the film wrap because they were like, how does Michael know? At where where to go and all this and that's why they threw the scene in there They're like oh shit we never did you know to have a scene showing michael that he knows to go to the hospital and well now now there's a scene that's where they added this in boombox boy here played by billy warlock from society he was dick warlock's son did you ever get around to watch his society yeah okay because i remember you'd come over that one time you saw and seen it i told you i'd watch it a few days prior no, I have watched it since. Yes, and then you showed me that 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 one of those uh, vlogs that you like, where the guy covered the whole shunting thing. Yeah, that's that's a yeah. wild flick, man. Brian Yosna. Yeah, so, yeah, guys, if, if, if you're listening, you want something very obscure. It's uh, very weird, but entertaining. Yeah, check 1989 out Society. Yeah, directed by Brian Yosna of uh, and Reanimator fame. But yeah, that's a weird flick. Yeah, it's got weird. a little bit to say about uh about the the, the class system in, in the United States. I'll put it to you that way. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, just make sure you eat before watching that movie. <laughs> All right, so Nurse Karen then arrives to the hospital, and Michael is seen in the mirror as the door closes and the camera pans. So Michael is now there at the hospital, too. So we've got a shot here of Bud, Jimmy, and Nurse Janet in the lounge with Bud smoking a J with a roach clip. And then we have the security guard, Mr. Garrett. He's introduced here. Michael is seen on the camera walking the grounds. Oh, yeah, you got... You got to have the obligatory shot of the security guard missing the creepy late night monitor footage due to, you know, thumbing through a tabloid in the middle of the night like nothing's going to go on. Yep. You know, of course, he's 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 reading the, you know, the New York Post or whatever the hell it is. And you see Michael just, you know, do his creep walk across the front of the, the grounds through the, one doing of the, a strut. In the background. Doing his Meyer strut. That's all. Yeah. So uh, he uh, lets Karen in. But. Uh, we see Michael entering from the back door. We only see the back door closing, implying that he's entered the room. Mm-hmm. Um, we got Nurse Janet giving Bud hell for cussing, and then she leaves as Nurse Karen enters and starts flirting with Bud. She leaves, and Bud sings his Amazing Grace tune. Amazing Grace, come sit on my face. Don't make me cry. 
I need your pie. Amazing grace. grace. Come, Come sit, sit on, on my, my face. face. Don't make me cry. cry. I, I need, need your, your pie. pie. <laughs> we then see Bud giving Jimmy advice about the not getting involved with the patient. Then he storms off. And we got Michael walking around the empty hospital halls and hides well, in the baby room. Yeah, he's, it's a bit unsettling to think that you got Michael Myers hiding in a neonatal ward. Like, putting him that close to, to, to babies is a little unsettling to a viewer for us. Like, he actually goes into the baby's room to hide when Nurse Karen mm-hmm. walks by. Yeah. And my note here is, we see babies, but no parents being admitted. They just leave their babies there overnight. <laughs> right. I mean, so it's a, yeah, the Haddonfield Memorial's this is not very busy for a Halloween night, surprisingly enough. It's a pretty quiet little hospital. Very quiet. Very, very quiet. Um, then we got Nurse Virginia giving Nurse Karen a lecture about being on time and how someone else's life could depend on it next time. Quickly, we got Jimmy now sneaking back in the lawyer's room again, and he tells her about Michael Myers before he's caught by Virginia again. They should have they handled it more carefully. Oh. Michael Myers. Michael Myers? Yeah, he, he was the guy that was after you. In the Myers house? That little kid who killed his sister? Yeah. But he's in a hospital somewhere. He escaped last night. How do you know? It's all over the radio. Television, too. It's on right now. Why me? Why me? Time's up, Jimmy. Let's go. Okay. And this is where Laurie finally puts it together. She just thought it was a fucking boogeyman. She didn't know what the fuck was going on in part one. Now she realized... Now she not realized, fully, but she's starting to realize it. Yes. No, yeah. no. In, in the first one, she just she didn't. She was just you know, you know, in, in survival mode. She didn't know what the fuck was, what the fucking thing was that was coming after. Her. Now she realizes that thing that she thought was a boogeyman is the legend of Michael Myers. That's when she realizes it. Is when Jimmy tells her she's laying in that. Oh that yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm thinking. Of she had else. no okay. clue that that. That it that Myers had come home, not a, let alone why he had come home. We all find that out later on, but this is when she finally realizes what the hell she was dealing with in the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, when he's kicked out, he lips to her that he's gonna that he'll be back, and Virginia's like, "No, you won't." And then she tells this is where she tells Lori that her parents were at the same party as a doctor, but she can't get a hold of them. She tries again, but the phone lines are now down. And this is where we get the security guard, Mr. Garrett, checking around the back area of the hospital with uh, Nurse Janet listening in on the walkie-talkie while he goes and looks around. And then after some scooping around, some looking here and there, he's finally killed, death by hammer claw. Yeah, right to the fucking forehead. This death scene has always given me a splitting headache. <laughs> They're all week, folks, twice on Saturdays. Then we got the morgue scene. Uh, the victim uh, appears to be around 17, 18, but Myers is 21. So it's not Michael. 
obviously. We know that, but now Loomis and company knows that that person that was charcoal alive was not Michael Myers. Um, and this is where we get the uh, deputy hunt. He reorders another sweep of the town. <clears throat> and Loomis thanks him for that. So we cut back to the Myers house and it's being attacked by a mob of angry townspeople. This is where Loomis tells uh, the deputy that one yeah, of them like, is butchered. This is I, the I like what he said. He's, he's, deputy Hunt's asking what's going on. He's like, it's the tribe. One of the numbers was butchered. This is the wake. The tribe. One of their number was butchered. This is the wake. He's like fucking, he's, uh, you know, Pleasance just ramps it up to 11. I mean, let's face it, you know, the guy's definitely not like proud that this is his most iconic role because he's a classically trained actor for Christ's sake. The guy, yeah, worked, of course. You know the guy. The guy worked with fucking Steve McQueen. You know, um, but you know he knew in his, for lack of a better term, Twilight years, that this was his bread and butter. That yep, yep. If, whether he liked it or not, he was going to keep slapping that fucking trench coat on. You know, and and going back to the well, you know, because because the money's good, you know. So each time you see Loomis, he's just like more uh, throughout the franchise. He just gets more and more unhinged about this obsession. Yeah. And this is where it's really starting to come into play. Where like he's cracking up now because Myers is on the loose. Yeah, and you, you get this bit now. He, he pulls out his gun and tells the deputy it heightens, it heightens my security. sense of security. Yeah. And outside, Hunt tells him that Haddonfield used to be a quiet town. When Loomis tells him the story, the backstory again, in case fans of the first film forgot about this. You know, Haddonfield was a pretty quiet town before tonight. The only uh, gunshots you ever heard were start the track meet at the local high school. Yet one night in 1963, Michael Myers did murder his sister in that upstairs bedroom with a large butcher knife. I remember. On Halloween. I'm 16 years old. It's his anniversary, Mr. Hunt. He came back. After 15 years? He waited with extraordinary patience. There was a force inside him biding its time. The staff grew accustomed to his immobility and silence. In many ways, he was the ideal patient. He, he didn't talk, he didn't cry he didn't even move he just waited the staff was unprepared they didn't know what he was did you know yeah i knew this mirrors his devil's eyes monologue from the first film and then we got deputy hunt being told by kids that they're worried about 17 year old ben tramer who never came home he was last seen drunk wearing a mask and then this is where Hunt and Loomis are notified of a school break-in. So we cut back to the hospital, and Nurse Karen gets startled by a buzzer. When she goes to check on it, she's grabbed by Bud, who tells her happy Halloween, then suggests going down to the hot tubs. But Karen can't leave the kids. He kisses her, and all of a sudden, she's all about that therapy room idea. Uh-huh. So Laurie has a dream of Michael... In the institute, and along with dripping giallo blood, and this is here where I noted that we get the return of Laurie's theme, one of my favorite themes in the series. Um, yeah, this is not the first time we're gonna get this like giallo, you know, blood 
going on here. Um, I think the second scene where we see it, you, you're going to have more to say, and we'll get to that in a second here. Right. Uh, Bud and Karen's hot tub scene. So this is where they're both getting it up in the hot tub. They got to get yeah, together downstairs in the therapy room. We see Michael Myers in the background going and suddenly knows an awful lot about temperature gauges and how I they was work. Gonna say, how does, I mean, obviously he knows how to read, but the guy just knows how to work a hydrotherapy pool. Yeah. This is a guy who taught himself how to drive. Okay. That's, so, well, I thought we know. established that. that fucking it was a joke. I know. Creep, I know. Yeah, that creep doctor taught him how to drive. So we know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess like, I made that note. And then by parentheses right after it as well, he can read because it does say right there on a big plaque, like, you know, what the temperature gauges should be. But yeah, like I did know, like, how does Michael know how the hydrotherapy pool works? <laughs> Yeah, um, so yeah, Bud goes and checks on the temperature when cameraman's it's getting too hot, and then we see in the background Bud getting strangled and killed yeah, by Myers. Yeah, I, I, I dig that, because you, you're the, the the camera's got, you know, the focus on, on, on Karen in the foreground, and Bud's death is a silent death in the background behind the frosted glass. It kind of reminds you mm-hmm. of the way Annie gets strangled in the first one, like it's, you yeah, know. a little bit. It's, it, it, it it doesn't play up the sound part of it. Like it leaves it more of the imagery, you know? Mm-hmm. And right. I just, I, I dug that. I thought that was, that was cool to have it, have him little, little silent death in the background where it's not the forefront of the action, but you know, it's going on and it catches your eye. I thought it was slick. Yeah. And I'd say for my money that this scene in particular is one that I think about when I think about this movie. When I think oh about yeah. yeah this, her, her death scene is my favorite, one of my favorite in the whole franchise. Yeah. So, yeah, he, uh, Michael comes out to Karen. Karen thinks it's Bud. Karen apparently can't smell or even taste Michael's hand as she's kissing it and putting her his fingers all in her mouth and shit. And then she turns and realizes, oh, shit, it's not Bud. It's Michael. And he gives her one of the most iconic death scenes of the franchise, like you just mentioned, with her head being... The temperature's turned all the way up to scolding hot. It's getting hotter and hotter as he's killing her. And he's just dunking her head and over and over four or five times until now i guess i guess this comes back into the and i guess this plays back into the supernatural inhuman killing machine but why is it boil the skin off of her face but not his hand because this is michael's hands that's what i'm saying it comes back to the you know you know the suspension (laughs) of disbelief we have an unstoppable killing machine is not human so right temperature doesn't affect him the way it affects us mere mortals (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, think about it. The, the spoiler alert: the dude was burnt alive at the end of this film, but then his whole entire body turns up in sequels. It's like, what are we doing here? Akad's <laughs> printing money. That's what's going on. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and we'll learn about that more and more as we talk about this franchise. Um, so then uh, we have the classroom scene with Loomis, Hunt, and another deputy. They see a, a knife and a picture drawing of a family and the life's uh, down where Lori is, it, where, where the sister is, Lori, of course. And then um, Salwin is written on the chalkboard in blood. But yeah, I was going to say, I made note of that too, because he pronounces it all phonetically. Sam Hain! It's pronounced Salwin like the most soft amateur way of pronouncing it. It's like, oh, God damn it. The festival of Sam Hain. And the fact that they actually kept it in the actual end product is like, God, 
I know, because when I was younger, that was my first time seeing or hearing of it. So I always thought as I was pronounced, I felt like an idiot, you know, because yeah. it's from our native tongue, man. It's Gaelic, you know what I mean? You know, for it's, the drill. Sa- it's pronounced Sowen. Sowen, almost like S A W E M. So that M is, yep. is, is, it's a soft M. And that's common in that tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you're Sam Hain. I've always, oh, this is always. Yeah, it's enough to make your ears bleed if you know what you're listening for. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, Nurse Chainsmoker, I mean, Nurse Chambers arrives to yes. take Loomis back to Smith's Grove by the governor with a marshal outside waiting for them. And I like it when uh, she comes in, Loomis is like, Oh, I didn't recognize you. It's like, wait a minute. We have maybe you didn't recognize her. You just saw the other day. Just saw you yesterday. No, but I, I like how cocky he is. Like, she's all in a panic telling him all this shit. And he's just like, oh, someone should have listened to me earlier. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. gloating over the fact that he was right. <laughs> he was. Uh, so then we got Jimmy returning to Lori yet again. This time he tells her that he's not gonna let anything happen to her. This is borderline creepy stuff now. This is borderline creepy mood that I have in my notes. Um, he ba- doesn't even know her. He knows her from a friend from class or some shit like that. I was, well, I was going to say they didn't know each other. He's from school, older. I guess, you know, he's, yeah, he's older because she's still in, he's obviously working for a living and she's, you know, technically what, a junior in high school. Yeah. Senior. Because, like, you think he says, like, she's friends of his sister or something like yes, that. Yes. Yeah. You're right, uh, you're right. Dialogue said. Um, and this is when he notices that she's become catatonic. So she's yeah. out. Um, so then Nurse Janet goes to get Dr. Mixter and notices the hot shower running with his body in the room with a needle in the eye. A split diopter shot reveals, yeah, that he's he's out. She's in the background. She's got that needle in the eye. Cool shot. Um, and then she backs up. I love this shot here. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, Michael just fades in out of darkness. Michael I love that. Darkness. It's probably my favorite shot of the film. It, it, yeah, it's 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 one of my favorite shots of the franchise, to be honest yeah. with you. She backs up it, and it just, you know, his the, the white of his mask fades in and startles the Just shit like out the of first him. film at the end. Yep. Just yep. like that. Yep. Right. Um, and then she gets a, 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 a needle in her chrome dome with uh now, the air. Just one air. one. One thing I noticed about this scene, and I think it's you talked about how you know they switched the mask up. Um, I think they they definitely use multiple masks throughout this because if you look, it's almost like they sculpted the mask for this scene to have a little bit of emotion on it because like you, you notice how like the left like the corner the, the left corner of his lip is kind of pursed while he's doing it, which mm-hmm. almost like he's biting like like he's biting his own lip. You know what I mean? Next time you watch it, just look at how certain times, at least throughout this one, it's like they they, they tweak the mask just a little bit, so it looks like a little bit of emotion showing through. You're probably not going to believe this, but they used the original mask in this movie. Really? Yeah. Um, maybe the story maybe goes. I know the corner of it. The story goes. They were looking for ideas, not ideas, but basically they were looking. To either do the same thing, thought they didn't have, you know, any more the the because the original film had three masks. There were three masks in the first film that were made for the for production. Um, and desperate, I guess Deborah Hill is the one who called um, Nick Castle personally and asked if he had the mask still, which he said that he did, and she asked if she could borrow it. 
would she allow her to? And that's when that's the story. Nick Castle said she asked for the mask for um just for reference, but they ended up using the mask in the actual movie. They only so the used first, one mask the whole film. That's why that's why it looks, you know, a little it 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 mirrors the first mask, definitely. The <laughs> hair's a little different, and I think it's because it's a little bit older, maybe, but the, the hair's a little bit more poofier and pulled back. It's not like all over the place like the first film it's like yeah. it's it's like neatly it's kind of like intentionally pulled held back and spray and and, and um, hairsprayed or something like right, that right right but it's it um other than that it's it's the first it's the original mask and that's yeah. the only time that you know that, that the same mask was used after this film obviously there would be different companies that come in and do their own designs that's why the mask changes in each film but as far as this film goes, it's it's the first mask all the way. Yeah, Except which, for, which, I believe which, the neck, the, the neck has like human, like 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 skin color, like a tone to like it, a flesh like a flesh tone. Yeah. Other than that, it's I, I can't really tell any differences besides that in the hair. But yeah, that's the story. It, it it came from Nick Castle himself. He gave it to Deborah Hill. She promised to give it back and never did. <laughs> <laughs> So that. Um, so then we get Jimmy. He goes looking for nurse, nurse Virginia. Meanwhile, Nurse Jill hears a buzzer go off and checks on it. And uh, we see Michael entering Lori's room and he stabs a bed full of pillows. Yeah, he's Meanwhile, carrying the glistening scalpel, like the world's shiniest yes. scalpel. Yes. Meanwhile, Lori is left and is struggling to stay awake. So she finds a room to pass out in. And Lori's theme returns here. Um, and then we got Deputy Hunt telling Loomis that they'll find Myers before he's taken away with Chambers and the Marshal. Back to Jimmy. He startles Jill and tells her that he's going to go. He's going to keep looking for people and advises her to go to the authority. All while Michael's behind the curtain hearing all of this. And then Jimmy goes to look for Virginia again and slips on her pool of giallo blood and knocks. Yeah, her like I, 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 you know, I thought Cape Fear did it first with the whole slipping in the blood thing. It's because that's it's 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 it startles you. You know, when you see it happen in a movie, it's startling, it's uncomfortable, it's a little humorous, you know. But when right. Joe Don Baker slipped in slipped in the blood in the kitchen at Act Three of Cape Fear, I thought that was the first time I had seen it. Come to find out, it was in this film. Because uh -huh. uh -huh. she's laying her, and that's a fucked up shot. She's like completely drained of blood. He right. slips, falls on his back, and then that camera just lingers for like a, you know, a few seconds longer than it really ne than that is necessary. It lingers on this shot. Mm -hmm. You know, which yeah, I, I thought was I, a little brave. I wonder where the Giallo influence came from. I mean. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's an obvious Jalo reference, the, the way the the blood color is like the pink. color, yeah. The, the, the it's, like, it's like red paint. Yeah. Um, I mean, right away, I get you know visions, and, and and I'm reminded of Suspiria. That and stage fright always come to mind when I think stage of fright, films. man. Remember, remember, we found out at the last minute, the last at the last possible second at the con that year. Remember, I've been trying to track it down all weekend. Remember when I finally mm -hmm. laid hands on stage fright? You were with me. Sunday yeah, afternoon. Yeah. I told like, you about we, it. Well, no, we you had told me about the film, and mm. I had been trying to track it down because it had my boy Giovanni Lombardi were DJing it, yes. directed by Michelle Suave. Yep. You know, um, 
and I, like I, I've been trying to add it to my Yalo collection, and we couldn't find. It was one of the ones we went all weekend. We were there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you and I are like, you know, we still had money to burn Sunday afternoon. It's about an hour left before they start wrapping up. And I distinctly remember we're talking to one vendor and I asked him about it. He's like, dude, I had one. I sold it, but there was a guy around the corner. I think, check with this guy. Check with Ted over there. I think he yeah. might have. We ran right over and the guy's like, yeah, here it is, man. My last copy. I was over the moon. I think I hugged him. But like, yeah, I got it, dude. I got stage fright. Yeah, because way back in the day, I had the original uh, Anchor Bay DVD when it came out in like 2002-ish. I had that for, for a little while. But that's... I, yeah. just watched, I just watched that not too long ago. Honestly, I actually um, and that reminds me too. Um, I I, I got to give you my Shutter login. I just I just uh did a Shutter account uh, trial the other day, and that's on there. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah, real, quick, one, real quick, real quick, real quick Shutter. Um, this season's Creep Show is awesome, and there's a there's an episode with Ted Raimi that was directed by Nicotero. That is a direct sequel. To Evil Dead, you have to see this episode. I was shocked as shit when I watched it yesterday. No like, shit. Oh my fucking god! There's a goddamn Evil Dead episode on Creep Show season two. Yes. Yeah, shoot me that login, man. If nothing else, I'm because I'm curious about that show. But if nothing else, I watch that episode at least. Yeah, send me the login for that. Oh, Creep Show's good, dude. I like the. I, I was a big fan of the first season, and the second I, season I, so I didn't far see is, any of it. I knew I knew Nicotero was bringing it back to life, and I didn't have access to it because I wasn't signed up for another. It's you know. it's worthy. I, I, I after we stop recording, I'll I'll send you the uh, the link and all that stuff. Yeah, so. text it to you. And you can also watch uh, the, the, the color out of the the the, the cage film. The color. Oh, um, um. Okay. Yeah. Color out of space. Space. Color out of space. Yeah. That's yeah, one there good, too. Good, good. I want to see that because I, you know, curious about uh, what's the name Richard, um, director. We talked about him. The guy got uh, ran into the. Uh, the, the guy from um, not Giant the uh, Doctor Marone Hardware. Richard Hardware, Stanley. Hardware. Yes. Yeah, Richard Stanley. Yeah, Stanley. Richard Stanley. Is this yes. his first flick since they ran him into the jungle when he was when, yes. when he was making Doctor Moreau? Did you ever watch? Did you ever watch that documentary? We've already talked about this. I have. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's a crazy story, man. He got fucking bug nuts and just disappeared in the jungle for like six weeks. <laughs> mm. <laughs> All right. Staring so, away from the industry for 30 years. So Nurse Jill, she's leaving the hospital to go get help, only to discover that all the vehicles in the parking lot have flat tires, and some <laughs> of them even have their lines cut, so they cannot go anywhere. They all stuck. Yep. Um. Laurie wakes up and leaves the room, leading to Jill's death via Michael's superhuman strength. Uh, yeah, because Laurie's Lori's finally able to get to her feet because she's been crawling around all this time. She's finally able to stand upright, you know, you know, feebly at best, but still. And then she turns and basically just looks at the nurse like, fuck this noise, you're doomed. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> yeah, because Michael stabs her from the back with the scalp and then raises her. And I like the effect with her shoes dropping. That's that's a cool touch. Yeah, yeah, where he lifts her up and her shoes come off. Mm -hmm. And then this gives us the chase that ends with Laurie in the parking lot and inside of a car to hide. Uh, a couple notes about this chase. Number one, I really dig the red lighting in the elevator area as Michael approaches Laurie with the whole when he puts his scalp on the door and all that. That's all. The whole red color with the light, I like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, it's playing backwards. You know, it's obviously uh, aside from Jala references, they're toying with some, you know, right. some the Palma camera tricks. 
right. if you will. And I think I think the, that has I think it complements the green color from the, the cop well, car. I, I think what they're doing too is kind of is, is is taking notes from what De Palma had been doing with you know with Dress to Kill and Blowout, where he's kind of mimicking that you know Italian look. Mm-hmm. With the color, you know, the the different color gels and the lighting. And you mentioned that split diopter shot. So there's a little nods to not only Italian filmmaking, but the Palma's work as well. Um, I tell you what doesn't work for me in this scene. The mm-hmm. score just is not nearly as effective with that synth as far as adding tension to the scene. It just, it, it, it falls flat to me. It really does. Okay. That's worth mentioning. I mean, uh, Carpenter and how the score for this film isn't perfect. I like it, but yeah, it yeah it's, I mean, it's, obviously, all it's, got, it's all the notes of the original, but the, the fact it's a different sound because it's, it's synthesized, yeah, of course. I it, 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 it doesn't have the, the edge to it that the first one did. Yeah, and you're right, it doesn't. When, when put um, in the context of the tension of a scene, it, it, it doesn't ramp it up the way that the, the actual, like a piano did. Mm-hmm. That's my, that was my note on that scene. Um, and then wouldn't that elevator door open right back up as Sean. soon as his hand hit it? Yeah, yeah. As soon, Sean, as, soon as he was his hand in there, it should have bounced right back open. Well, you're old. How are elevators in '81? Now I'm saying that's exactly what would happen. They, they were designed so that as soon as pressure hit, so it didn't take your hand off. You know, it had been that way for years. It wouldn't like force itself to close like it doesn't. No, it wouldn't have, like chop the hand off or force itself. It would have bumped just like they are today. It would have bumped and opened back up. Yep. So I don't know. Something I've always noticed about it. Kind of a gripe. That's okay. Um, Loomis and Chambers, they're in the Marshall's car. And then Chambers tells Loomis about Lori being Michael's sister. Dr. Loomis, please listen to me. There's a file on Michael Myers that nobody knew about. I've seen everything. No, no, it was hidden, sealed by the court after his parents were killed. Now, after the governor heard what happened tonight, he authorized Dr. Rogers to open it. What file? It isn't fair. They should have allowed you to examine everything. That girl, that Strode girl, that's Michael Myers' sister. She was born two years before he was committed. Two years after, his parents died and she was adopted by the Strodes. They requested that the records be sealed in order to protect the family. Jesus, don't you see what he's doing here in Haddonfield? He killed one sister 15 years ago. Now he's trying to kill the other. Tonight, after I shot him, where did they take her? The clinic. The clinic? Where? Do you know this area well? A little bit. Where's the hospital located? Dr. Loomis, we're under orders from the governor. It's back on Route 17, about three miles. Turn this car around now. I can't do that. I've got orders. Those orders just change. Dr. Loomis. Doctor, you're getting yourself into a lot of trouble. What does you fellas usually do? Fire a warning shot, right? Afterwards, Loomis asks where she was taken and orders them to go there via gun. What is it you fellas usually do? Fire a warning shot? Blows out a windshield. Yeah, he just shoots out the guy. He shoots out the deputy's fucking back. Blows out the window from the side, yeah. So the car turns around. To the hospital they go. Uh, Lori still hiding in the car when Jimmy suddenly gets in and tries to start the car up in a weird trance. Tells him he's going to go get them help and then suddenly passes out over the steering wheel, signaling her whereabouts to Michael. Yeah, he just lean, his head just leans in on the horn. Yeah, 
and she pulls it back so it's not on there for too long and then gets out and starts crawling towards the entrance after seeing Loomis and the marshal pulling up and going inside. She can't seem to scream in this scene until they're inside. It's too late. Um, script's going to script. Michael yeah, but I, I will say, like, this scene, like, and her, the whole parking lot scene with Laurie, Jamie Lee Curtis is, like, really selling, like, like she's doing a good job in that state of panic. Like it's, powerful, I'll give you that. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, right. She looks fucking terrified and petrified. So yeah, she, she may have got called in, you know, for a couple of days and she wasn't expecting to have to go to work, but when she did show up to work, man, did she put in the fucking work? You know <laughs> right. I mean? Okay. So Michael suddenly appears outside now and slowly starts giving chase to Lori who makes it to the door screaming and is eventually let inside by by Loomis. And then uh, Michael just walks right yeah, through walks the Yeah, straight door. through the glass. Casual Doesn't, walks. Boom. Just walks. He doesn't, like, run at it. He just, he, nah, he, slow walk. he just walks right through it. His body pressure is enough to just shatter the glass. And it's 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 shards of glass, too. It's not like that that, that speckled glass that, like, when it shatters, right. it crumbles into a million pieces. There's big right. old chunks of glass. Michael just walks right through it. Uh, so yeah, the Loomis shoots Michael some more. Yeah, to count. So at this point, Michael's now taken 13 fucking shots throughout the course of two movies in one night. No medical attention whatsoever. Because he's no human. Yeah. He's the boogeyman. From Samhain. From Sam Hain. Sam Hain. <laughs> so, uh, let's see here. Loomis, uh, yeah, so the, the Michael's playing dead, and the marshal goes and checks on him, and Loomis tells him to get away. And yeah, Loomis knows better. That. Boom. Michael jumps up, grabs the marshal, slits his throat. This was added from Carpenter as well, because originally, I believe he was just stabbed or something. And then when Carpenter did the reshoots, he had the angle or whatever. I don't know what he did, but he made he inserted the, or changed it up so that the guy's throat gets slit. And you can kind of see it with the edit. You can tell yeah. that there's a, it's the added scene when you, if you pay close attention, right. you can see it. So yeah, that's new as well. Um, and then Loomis orders uh, Nurse Chambers to go outside to the radio and get some help. Meanwhile, Loomis and Laurie they're basically chased into the uh, operating room with, by Michael, where Loomis ends up shooting out both of Michael's eyes, <laughs> turning on all the gas in the room. And this is like this shot here is like iconic with the bleeding eyes. Uh -huh. I mean, they sell masks like this for part two with like the bleeding eyes look and him just like blindly swinging around. I'd say outside of the hot tub scene, this is my second most remembered scene is is Michael blindly swinging yeah, his just scalp like swinging, just and swinging at both of them. They're making noises to get them away, and uh, basically. Loomis just turns on all of the gas in the room, orders Laurie out, and uh, just takes a Zippo out and lights it. It is time, Michael. Seemingly killing both of them. Uh, we do Without see any body. other regard to any other patients, Dr. Loomis thinks the safest bet is to blow up an entire ward of a hospital. 
<laughs> knowing patients inside. I know it's like literally the the, the least busy hospital in, in America. It's like six babies and two patients, one of which is now outside. Nope. <laughs> so yeah, so we see Michael's burning body walk out and collapse near Lori. Um, and then yeah, next morning we see the aftermath going on. Uh, Lori gets taken away, and we see Michael's mask continue to burn up as the end credits begin to roll to Mr. Sandman again, bringing Halloween to to a close. Yeah, real quick on, on that um the ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, good time to mention it. This was not the original ending. No, uh, Jimmy returned originally, and there's it's actually on the. You can watch it on YouTube, but it's on it's on the Blu-ray and DVDs. Um, basically, her it's kind of this. I think it's the same shot that we see in the theatrical cut with her just looking aimlessly as the the medics leaving, but then like Jimmy pops up next to her or something like that. It's just I haven't seen the scene in itself in a while, but it's her and the medic, and then suddenly Jimmy pops up and he's there with her as well, and they both get taken away. It I don't know I I, I don't know why they made the decision to leave Jimmy's fate. As ambiguous as they did, but I, I, I don't know. I can't wrap my head around that one. It's one of this film's many mysteries, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Lance Guest went on to have a kind of predominant role in the 80s that didn't really go anywhere afterward. Nah, a lot of B flicks. Yeah. So, all right. So box office receipts. In the operational funds box. We will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I won't receive. All right. So Halloween 2 opened on October 30th, 1981 from Universal Pictures. Opened at number one of $7.5 million domestic, going on to gross $25.5 million total on a $2.5 million budget. Don't need mathematics for this, folks. It made money. It made some good money. Especially good 1981 genre flick money. And went on to have buku amount of sequels. And you know the story. We're going to talk about it as the weeks go on. Um, You're going to go far, kid. You ain't going to believe this. We used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's going to be the best kid in the world. This kid's gonna be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching every day. It was like a privilege. I'm giving this to Dana Carvey. You didn't even know he was in this movie. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I had heard those grumblings for years, but I didn't even pick it up in the in the quick scene that he was in. Yeah. You actually see him again at the end when when Lori's being brought out and taken to the, the ambulance at the, uh, yeah. the last shot. You see him yeah. again next to that reporter. I mean, I have I, I have a recollection from you know. Of of both appearances from what I watched Monday you know Monday afternoon, so yeah. Apparently, I mean, this guy has a name. The internet has told me that Dana Carvey's name in this movie is Barry McNichol. Okay, so there's that. All right, um, Dana Carvey, of course, went on to was, SNL is what really made him stand out, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Because it was SNL, I mean, I had seen his which, stand up which went that, to Garth. But... I mean, Dana Carvey didn't really have the huge career outside of SNL that a lot of his colleagues did. I mean, he did. He went on to, to pop up. He had like Clean Slate was a movie, one of his projects. 
what else did Dana Carvey have in the big Master 90s? Master Disguise. Well, that was later on. That was like the last, that was his last solo outing, which, you know, if you've seen that fucking movie, yeah, you know it was, why. It was, clean, it was clean slate to all where he's a con artist and he gets like amnesia or something. I think so. I vaguely remember that movie. I don't think I've seen it, but I remember when it came out. It was yeah. like 95, 96. Yeah. Um, and then I'll, I'll just pull it up right here. Dana Carvey. <clears throat> um, damn, 65. He was in, he went on after this. This is Spinal Tap. He was in Moving. Opportunity Knocks. That was one that I remember. Yeah, Opportunity Knocks. That's it. That's the one where he's a that's the one where he's a con artist. Yeah. Clean Slate and then Trapped in Paradise. That was the one with Nick Cage, right? Yeah, we actually I, I should it was around we were doing Christmas movies and I showed that to Mandy last holiday okay. season. Yeah. With Nicholas Cage and John Lovitz. Yeah. And then, you know, SNL and then I he had a little cameo and little Nikki as the referee at the basketball game. Uh, and then Master Disguise, of course. Um, and he's uh, the last, I think he did voice work for some of them Hotel Transylvania films and uh, Secret, Life, Secret Life of the Pets. He was in that in those films too. I mean, that makes sense, yeah. But other than that, I mean, that's that's Dana Carvey today, really. Yeah. Um, so let's meet the cast. Hey, you guys, everybody focus up, okay? All eyes here. I would like to announce that Ben and I are planning to produce a musical number from Godspell for the talent show tonight. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Ben is producing. I'm directing slash choreographing. I'm only speaking from personal experience, but if you can't carry a tune, don't come into the audition environment and waste our time. For serious, okay? Okay, and bring a lot of movement clothes, AKA jazz shoes, dance belts, lycras, et al. And seriously, FYI, you guys, this is not an excuse to get out of your regular activities. This is an excuse to do some good musical theater. So be prepared, be enthusiastic, and leave your bullshit attitude and baggage at the door, because we don't need it. So we got Jamie Lee Curtis is Laurie Strode. We pretty much talked about her career last month. Same with Donald Pleasance, who is in this returning as Dr. Sam Loomis, as well as Charles Cyphers as Sheriff, Bra Sheriff Brackett for his two or three scenes. Um, Lance Guest as Jimmy. Uh, Lance Guest. I know him from this, Last Starfighter, and Jaws the Revenge. What do you got? That's right. Was, I mean, um, I was trying to figure out where I, where I, when I was watching it, where I placed him from. It would, it would have been Last Starfighter. You always like that because I'm a big Robert Preston fan. I like that uh, Nick Castle did, did that movie, the, the Shape from the First Halloween. That's right. He did, didn't he? It's, 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 yeah. it's streaming again, too. I might have to give her another look. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I, was, it's good, I, it's I, I haven't seen it since, you know, what, my early high school, I think. Oh, it's been that long? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, because it's, it's like Lance Gast and Dan O'Harelhe from uh, Halloween 3. We'll talk about yeah. him next month. Yeah. And, and like Robocop 1 and 2. And uh, Robert Preston is, is, the, is like his mentor or whatever. In the yeah. Um, then we got Dick Warlock. In the role of Michael Myers in this film, Dick Warlock is a pretty big stuntman. Um, not my favorite portrayal of Michael Myers, um, but he is my favorite actor who played him. That guy is just oodles of fun. I've met him at a couple of cons. He's still, you know, I, I think he's like 83, 84 now, and he's still just 
is up and 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 full of humor and life, and the the guy's just still kicking and he's kicking just out and taking names. Dick Dick Warlock is a fun fucking guy. He really is. Um, definitely a man I love the fucking. If I did drink, I'd love to go have a fucking couple rounds with the guy because he just looks like a blast to be with and hang out. <laughs> See, so yeah, I did Warlock. And my gripe with him in this film, as Myers, is I can't stand his slow walk in this movie. And there's like it's like a really weird, stiff, like a robot walk. You really see it come out when he's walking down the staircase and stuff. I think even uh Deborah Hill had uh, some comments about the way he walks in this movie. It's just everything I like. I like you know I I dig Myers in this film. I just don't like that walk that he has. I, I agree. I mean, it's it's nothing. It's not a big stick. It's not as big of a sticking point for me as is for you. But yeah, I can see it's it's a little stilted. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's not like the the iconic walk that he had that, that mm. strut and he's chasing Laurie from Wallace to Doyle's house in the original. And it's right, just, right. Yeah, you know, little things. That's all. And then rounding out the cast, we have Pamela Susan Shoup as Nurse Karen Bailey. We have Tony Moyer as Nurse Joe Franco. Anna Alicia as Nurse Janet Marshall, Nancy Stevens returning as chain smoking Marion Chambers, Leo Rossi as Bud, and Dana Carvey as Barry McNichol. <laughs> <laughs> now, didn't you say um, um, Chambers is reprising a role in the in, in the new one this, this this October? Yes, she'll be back as well as um, Charles Cyphers and um, and the girl that played Lindsay Wallace, right? Kyle Richards. Kyle Richards. So should, they're all coming back from the first. Tommy Doyle is coming back. It's not. He's, he's yeah, not it's being Anthony played Michael by Brian Andrews. He's playing by yeah Anthony Michael. I thought Hall. it was Anthony yeah. Michael. Yeah, it's Anthony Michael Hall playing Tommy. Yeah, Doyle, just said right? that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's it's not Brian Andrews. It's Mike. It's Anthony Michael Hall in the right. new one. Right. So yeah, they'll be back. Um. So this is Crew. Well, my friend, this is Crew. But don't even think about it. You don't look like you could hang, Jermaine. The name's Jamal, and I'll fuck your crew up. Who are they? So, this one, not directed by John Carpenter. Not this all, directed, anyway. Directed by Rick Rosenthal. Now, Rick Rosenthal, um, are you a big uh, Birds 2 fan? What? He directed The Birds 2. I didn't know there was a fucking sequel, so hell no, I'm not a Birds 2 fan. He's credited as Alan Smitty. It, of course was, he is. It was. I remember when it came out. It was. A, it came out in '94. It was a USA original movie. Yeah. So it was. It was a TV movie. Um, I remember it vaguely. The 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 climax has like the family out on a rowboat in the middle of the water, and they they flip the boat over to save themselves from the birds pecking at them or some shit like that. Uh, that's how. That's. That's that's birds too. Yeah. <laughs> um, Good old Alan Smithy. So Rosenthal would actually come back to direct Halloween Resurrection twenty years later, and oh, we will yeah. talk about that later mm-hmm. on this year. Unfortunately, um, you would know him from directing. The two years later, he would go on to direct Bad Boys, and I'm not talking about Martin Lawrence and Will Smith either. Sean Penn, Isai Morales, and Clancy Brown. Ali Sheedy, Alan Ruck, yes, sir. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rick Rosenthal went and directed that. Rick Rosenthal is also currently married now to um, uh, Nancy Stevens, who played Nurse Marion Chambers. Yeah. 
they're married. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but Deborah Hill and Carpenter came back to produce and write the movie. Uh, Carpenter and his um, colleague, Alan Howarth, did the score together. I would actually consider Alan Howarth more of Carpenter's protege, more than a colleague. Edited by Mark Goldblatt and Skip Skolnick. Now, I want to mention real quick Mark Goldblatt's name here because Mark Goldblatt, the editor, he's to, he has edited fucking everything, dude. I looked at this guy's filmography last night and holy shit. He edited, same year as this, The Howling. Then he directed The Terminator two years later. He edited Commando, Rambo First Blood Part 2, Robocop, Nightbreed, Predator 2, Terminator 2, which he won. No, he was nominated for an Academy Award. Last Boy Scout, Mario Brothers Movie, True Romance, Tombstone, The Rock, Starship Troopers, Armageddon, Detroit Rock City, Hollow Man. This dude's fucking resume is stacked. Yeah, man. Impressive. He's his last credited editing job was a few years back he edited that Eli Roth remake of Death Wish uh, or Bruce Willis Bruce Willis yeah, 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 yeah. never bothered with it gotcha um, I mean I'd already seen Death Wish and Death Sentence which is the same fucking movie all over again Why yeah that's what I tell time? people when people ask me how how was the Death Wish remake, I'm like, go watch Death Sentence. That yeah, was Death Sentence. Remake. Yeah, it's that's a better remake in my opinion. Yep. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's 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 a love child between Death Wish and Taxi Driver. It definitely cribs Taxi Driver at the end. Yes. Uh, yeah, Death Sentence. Good, good, good little thriller. It is, guys. Bookmark it because at some point I have no doubt we'll be talking about that movie down. Yeah, yeah, we should do it. We should do it. I know that a while. No doubt. I see it. I seen it a couple of years. Let's give it a let's give it a day in court. We did. We will. One right. sometime before the end of the year, we are going to be covering that damn movie. Um, All right. Put down with that. right now. Uh and finally wrapping out the uh category, we have Dean Cundy returning to do the cinematography. And I raved about that man last month. So check out the Halloween episode from a few weeks back to hear my thoughts on Dean Cundy and his amazing career fucking love that guy um biggest takeaways mr madison what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things i have ever heard at no point in your rambling incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. You want to go first? Um, just so much of a takeaway. I mean, it's 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 a, it's, a, it's above average. Um, you know, second chapter to a franchise before you know we knew we were going to have a franchise. Um, I I like the fact that it picks right up. You know, and acknowledges the events of the previous film and pretty much brings all pertinent players back, you know, should they, you know, fit into the story. They um, all came back. Even Nancy Keys came back to, to film her corpse. Yeah, they a quick shot of her on the, on the gurney, right? Yeah, that's, that's yeah. actually her. They brought her back for that. Oh, yeah, I knew shot. that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if, they, if she came back or if that was leftover from 
footage from the first one because I couldn't. Nah, she I, came back because I think at that time she was already married at the time of Lee Wallace. So yeah, there's a whole family affair going on with, with this with this thing because Carpenter and oh, yeah. were hooked up. She was hooked up with Tommy Lee Wallace. You know, it was a little family affair going on in the Halloween franchise for a while. Mm-hmm. I, absolutely. Um, I got a couple. Uh, the heavy Jallo influence uh, I put here. Ballsy decision to go with that after the Bloodless original film. Trying to fit in with the current times of horror in 1981. So I get yeah. it. Um. And then I have one here, a much better sequel than I've ever given it credit to be. No, I, I'll say that. Yeah, I was I, I, I was pleasantly surprised um, watching watching it the other day. You know, a little schlocky, of course. What are you going to expect? It's a, it's a horror film from the early 80s. Mm-hmm. But it's in a good way, you know. It's the yeah, best kind I, I of schlock went, you could get for a part two, you know. I was curious, uh, especially after reading that text from Justin the other day. <laughs> I was like, what did I think of the first or the second one? Did I really not like it that much? And I went back and checked my letterbox rating of it from last October when I watched it. I had three and a half stars. I put it in this time as four stars. So I, it's went up. I liked it. I liked it more now. I don't know why. I don't know what changed, but. I had a pleasant. I had a rather enjoyable time watching. This I think with this me, it's, I think with me, it's probably because you know I we, you know, we adjusted the first one not too long ago, so it was still a little. You know, it was a little more fresh. Mm-hmm. I've never sat down and just like did a whole Halloween marathon over a weekend, like you know, like we used to do with other franchises. Right. Um, right. So I think I think that may be another reason why I appreciate it more was because you know I just watched part one a few weeks ago. And that was right. this one the other day. Okay. It had a little more relevance this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a category we haven't done in a while. Swan Storm. I'll see you again. This side or the other. So this was one of the final performances from Lucille Benson, who played Mrs. Elrod. Um. Mrs. Elrod's actress, like I said, Lucille Benson, um, looking at her career, pretty, pretty full career in the in the seventies, especially uh, a lot of TV appearances and and some uh, minor role, minor film roles, um, Huckleberry Finn, uh, Tom Sawyer, Devil's Daughter, Slaughterhouse Five, to name a few, um, and then unfortunately. Uh, a couple years after this film wrapped in early 84, February 17th, she passed away in a hospital in Alabama uh, from liver cancer at the age of 69 years old. So um, unfortunate, but she leaves behind a pretty memorable performance, especially with the Halloween fans. I mean, you talk to your, your hardcore Halloween fans and Mrs. Elrod, her and that mayonnaise and mustard sandwich is uh, uh-huh. up there is one of the memorables. <laughs> yeah, and then she just sees a little bit of blood on a cutting board and lets out a fucking Wilhelm scream. Curling scream, yeah, man. Uh-huh. All right, so finger looking good. Finger licking good. Um, I'll, I'll start. The, the, the chase that Michael gives Laurie uh, to the parking lot that's always been my favorite sequence because even up to this recent watch, 
it's just intense and it yeah, gets it, me every it time. evokes like, the I'm original. always like at the edge of my seat like i know it's gonna happen but i'm always watching it like come on come on come on go on, go 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 close the other door close the other door get away get away I, I watch it like it's my first time every time you know yeah it's it definitely it definitely evokes attention to the original i just i just wish it would have not used a synthesizer i think it's yeah, gonna have yeah. more edge to it on that scene so what's your favorite part um I well two two of my favorite well my one of my favorite death scenes was that was that hot that that hydra yeah. people so that I've always remembered that from this film like that's the first thing that pops into mind anytime somebody mentions Halloween too is her coming up with a skin peeling off her face um that and then um you know what we just talked about where he slips into blood and that camera just hangs. You know, the nurse drained of blood and, and Jimmy slips in it and, you know, knocks himself out and the camera hangs there. You know, I like those two shots. Alternative versions. Alternative versions from another dimension. So let's talk about this television cut real quick. Yeah, um, you said uh, you, you said it's available now too, right? Like what I found years ago is like no longer out of my grasp. It's it's out there on like the the, the Blu-ray or whatever. Yes, yeah, like I said, uh, Scream Factory when they put out their edition of this uh, back in 2012, it came with uh, a second disc, which is the television cut in standard form. Um, I'm trying to find, I thought I had them right in front of me. Hang on a second. Here we go. So. The, the television cut aired uh, in the early 80s. Um, most of the graphic violence and blood edited out and many minor additional scenes were added with others being removed. Because um, they had to pad the runtime to fill the two hours, right? Yeah. They the so the, much the, out that the, there the wasn't enough left to get two hours worth of sponsorship. The television cut runs approximately 92 minutes, roughly one minute less than the theatrical version. So that, yeah, that, that, there are many edits such as the number such as the murder of Dr. Mixter is presumed to still happen, but remains off camera as okay. those planets. Although dialogue indicates she might've gone home at the end of, at the end of her shift instead of being killed. Okay. Uh, the scene where Michael stalks Alice is recut to imply that he's attacking, that he attacks and kills her neighbor. And this is Elrod instead. Oh, uh, Jimmy's discovery of Nurse Virginia's uh, death and his uh, subsequent slipping in the blood of the pool of blood was uh, shortened or removed altogether in some prints. I had a feeling that that wouldn't that that, that wouldn't make the cut. Yeah, uh, Jill's stabbing is less graphic, and a moan from the ground implies that she might have survived it. Um, also added are scenes of Michael cutting the power, which explains the dark setting throughout the later half of the film. Yeah, okay. Uh, a power generator, a power generator kicking in. There is also extra dialogue between Laurie and Jimmy, Laurie and Mrs. Uh, Laurie and Miss Virg Nurse Virginia, Janet and Karen, Karen and Mrs. Uh, Karen and the security guard, Bud and Karen. It, uh, just, just added dialogue between different characters. Yeah, but there's, then, I mean, it's nothing major, but it's still significant. I like to, I like to lay eyes on this damn thing. Well, another another notable difference is the killing of the of the marshal at the end. In the theatrical version, his throat is slit, while in the TV version, and I mentioned this earlier, 
Michael grabs him and stabs him from behind with no detail. So they, they use they use they, they didn't use Carpenter's uh, cut right. for that. Though. Right. Used- While the theatrical version ends with the deaths of Michael Myers and Dr. Loomis and leaves the audience in a gray area as to whether Jimmy survives, the television cut features the ending that I told you about with Jimmy making it up, making it out alive with a bandage over his head from the slip. And in the ambulance of Lloyd Strode, they hold hands and Lloyd tells him, we made it. That's how the theatrical, uh, that's how the TV cut ends. And that's your TV cut. I gotta see yeah. it soon. When, when I, when I, yeah, when I, when I, you know, go back and, and grab the the Screen Factory disc again because I gotta rebuy that. I'll I'll lay that disc on you so you can watch. Please it. do, please do. Oh, I definitely. See it. I hopefully, do it soon while this one's still fresh and I can pick up the differences because I've always been curious ever since I had that damn thing in my hand twenty years gotcha. ago. Gotcha. Um, body count. This film has a body count of ten. Ends the number for this film. Our body count is 10 for Halloween 2. Um, Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? The score. Um, the score. To me, it's the okay. score. Okay. I, I, like I said, I like the score. I, it's not my favorite, but I, I, I do like this one. Um, so we're going to have to agree to disagree on that. Unfortunately, whereas mine, I could have continued to stay down the bloodless path of the original as much as I think Giallo blood and stuff. I just, I wish they kind of would have just kept going with that bloodless approach that the, that the first film was so known for and still is. Whereas every, all 36 slasher films that came out in 81, probably like up the ante in so many ways. Whereas this just could have just, Kept it down to just yeah. Went like went the other way. Could have went the other way with it. right. You know nothing wrong yeah. with that. I'm, I'm a blood like I've I've said this on the podcast numerous times, and I'll say it again. I I'm a horror guy. I love my gore, but only where it's really necessary. I mean, yeah, I just, when it works instead yeah, of just exactly you know, right. Or exactly. doing it for the sake. Right. It's um, I, I'm not I'm not down with that. So, swap it all up, give out our final thoughts. And on that note, take care of yourself and each other. Um, as like you said, man, I forgot how good of a sequel, you know, it was, how worthy, you know, it wasn't necessary. No, no, we could have been one and done, but let's face it, the, 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 we got a franchise, it's a franchise we're talking about all, you know, for the next couple months for a reason. So, for this to be the start of the franchise, if you will, it's 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 good. It's good. Better than your average chapter two when it comes to you know eighties horror flicks, slasher flicks. You know, mm-hmm. the first time I can remember a sequel literally being a direct continuation, like picking right up where we left off, and everybody's back. You know, er, er, everybody's involved again. Um, so that. That's what I'll say about it. It's it's better, like I said, better than your average, you know, horror movie sequel. Um, for what it is, it's obvious what was, you know, what, what we yeah, discussed right. about Carpenter being forced, and you know, they shoehorn Laurie in because of that. Because obviously, without that, if they don't went ahead, if Carpenter would have won that court case, then it would just be Michael Myers stalking a bunch of people at a hospital, you know. 
Laurie's fruit. And for all we know, the brackets may not have been involved. Who knows? Well, I forgot. I, I can't believe I forgot, I forgot to mention this too. Um, original concept did not have this in a hospital. It was an no. apartment complex. Well, yeah, you know what? I think I did. A high rise apartment complex. I think I did. It was supposed to be years later. Hearing about that. Yeah, it was supposed so to be a few that years was, later. That, uh, how many years later? A few. It wouldn't have been the same night. So it, 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 would, it wouldn't have been, been like, it, it wouldn't have been the rest of October 31st, 1978. Right. It would right. have been, you know, all right, we've recovered, from, we've recovered from the terror of Haddonfield. Right. You know, and now life's back to normal, and then boom, he just shows up in like a, a, a like a condo. Yep. Yeah. How would they? What? What would it? Do you, any idea what would have brought him to a fucking condo? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just curious. Is like, where were the? What was the? What was the? The end for that? You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, if that's the case, were they even? You know, I'm curious too. I just, you know, I just know, right. I mean, this, this, and let's face it, this is the film that created Laurie Strode as, as the through line for the whole franchise as the sister, yes. you know, that was, it was never, she was just the, the final girl in chapter one. She now was a random her, babysitter in the first film. And right, now, right. They now it made her, purpose. you know, it made her important canon, you know, to the legacy that is Michael Myers, you know, right. and Whose idea was that? Was that Carpenter? Yeah, that was his game plan. That, that was that was his contribution when he's like, "All right, fuck it, I gotta write this script." Uh, fuck it, Laurie, Laurie and Michael are related. She's long lost half sister. That's kind of how it came out. Well, yeah, ten days and a lot of beer. So I, well, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just saying it wasn't part of the original story outline that, that Yahoo no. was handing him. It was what no. he contributed. He just okay. originally he went on record saying that he originally. His idea was to take it a few years later at a high-rise apartment complex. So, All right. Take that as you will. Overall, my final thoughts like, of the movie. I would, I, would, I would like to see that in an alternate universe. I would like to see that. He did something similar to that uh, a couple years, either the same year or right around this time. It was a TV film called Someone to Watch Over You or something like Someone that. Someone to Watch Over did. Me? Yeah, so he kind of took his. That was that was a high rise. I was an apartment sky high rise apartment complex. I, I remember. So. I re yeah, I remember someone to watch over me. One, Adrian uh, Barlow Tom, is in that film. Is Tom Tom Berenger's in it too, isn't he? No, it's a different movie. That's no. another one that they have similar titles, but it's different. Movies. Okay, uh, yeah, I do know. I, I do know Barbo's in it. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time, but yeah, now you're right. It is. It was like an is, NBC um, movie. Someone to watch over me. Yeah. All right. So my final thoughts. Um, Look, it it's a worthy follow up, unnecessary but worthy. I'm I'm happy with the contributions that Carpenter made to it. However, part of me is still kind of curious as to where the film would have went if it they took the original um, anthology direction or idea that they wanted to go with. Um, well, wouldn't wouldn't season of the witch become? part two then if they would have well, yeah but we would have gotten something that we you know season of which aside like i'm just curious as to what all the stories would have been it would have been different ones more than just two yeah. the, the idea was to just turn them out yearly different stories so as much as i dig this movie as a sequel and a halloween film i am just part of me is curious as to where what direction they could have went otherwise other than that talking about the movie that we did get in the end not perfect, but it's still a worthy follow-up. Um, 
for years I was I kind of held a grudge against this movie because I of the direction that it took as opposed to the first one with the gore and 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 death scenes and whatnot. Whereas the first one's more of just a mind fuck sort of with just a quiet, calm, careful killer. Yeah. This one is just a slasher, and you know it's because it's it's in the thick of that eighty early eighty slasher phenomenon. Um, but it works, and I like it in the end. Um, it's 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 definitely like I said, a movie that it's built that's worked up, you know, with me over the years, and uh, and and yeah, four out of five, it's worthy. I dig this movie; it gets my approval. So yeah, yeah, I'm mad at it. I liked it. I, I like it. I, I, like I said, I realized I liked it more than I thought I did just watching it the other day. So to wrap all that up, this film is sponsored by Entertainment Weekly magazine. Just because it may appear to be the emptiest hospital on the planet, sometimes life or a homicidal mass killer happens and wait times may reach up to double digit hours. Shave that wait time down and get bashed away in the wonderful world of entertainment land with an array of entertainment weekly magazines that are piled up in a hospital waiting room around the country. And the best part is that there are a weekly magazine so you know you're going to get hooked. Put down that phone and read an old-fashioned entertainment weekly magazine now. All that being said, this film definitely gets the film effect seal of approval. That'll bring things home for this edition of the show. One down, many more to follow. Monday morning, we'll be back to continue economy by talking all about how to lose a guy in 10 days. Sweet fucking Jesus. Same film effect place, same film effect time. The inbox. Saw you with the box. What was in the box? Gonna read some reviews because we got a couple. Oh yeah. First one's from my buddy Nick. Left us a second review. This one saying just a just a friendly reminder from a fan. This is some high class, straight Baltimore high class stuff. <laughs> I can't tell you enough that these guys have the knowledge, the gumption, the pure love of what they do when it comes to cinema. I love the education I get on some of my favorite flicks. They make you see the characters you look over and appreciate the director's approach to a scene. This is a must-have podcast on your iPhone. Get with it, people. You will not be disappointed. And if you are, everyone is entitled to their opinions and would and and that they would open the challenge. Ed, Sean, keep up this great work. Uh, thanks, Nick. And our second review comes from the Paul and Griff show. Yeah. Yeah, five stars. Listen to their National Lampoon's Vacation episode. Great listen, which includes sound bites from the movie. We'll definitely be checking out more Griff from the Paul and Griff show. Thank you, Griff. Thank you, guys. As always, um, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for the review. And like I said, go check out the new episode this week on Conair. Um, yeah. Before we get out of here, just want to remind everybody, they can check out previous episodes of the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Breaker, Stitcher, you know the deal. Uh, socials. First, we're on Facebook and Instagram. We're at? Uh, the Film Effect Podcast. And Twitter. Film Effect Pod. And real quick, I cannot stress this enough, guys. Twitter is where it's at. That is probably the most active way to get a hold of us second would be facebook of course instagram send the pics and we'll start utilizing that damn thing <laughs> yeah. um 
And yeah, emails. Where is it? What's that address? The Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. All right. So that'll put a bow on this episode of Halloween 2. Thank you guys again for checking out the show. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, we, we love the, the support and everything you guys have been doing so far. Um, don't forget, we have merch out there. Next month, we'll have Patreon. Um, yeah, get yourself one of the montage tees for the going, man. Mine's on its mine should be here any minute. Yeah, limited edition, guys. I'm not joking. It's going to be going away sooner than later. So uh, grab them now while you can. It's, it's, it's point, definitely going to be one of the more popular uh, designs. Some point between today and tomorrow, uh, I'll upload a pic with me, you know, with it. Um, but yeah, right yeah, yeah, that's that's Ed did a hell, hell of a job with that limited edition design. It it it, it really it really sells our uh, our love. Yeah, it does. Does the movie like it. montage? Yeah, yeah. You yeah, guys I get a load of it. I think you'll dig it too. Cool, cool, cool. All right then, Sean, take us out of here. Yes, sir. Uh, so uh, we shall see you guys again when those theater lights go dim and the opening credits begin to roll. I've been Ed, that's been Sean, it's been fun, but now it's done. Alright guys, take care. Check you later. Give him two lips, like roses and clover. Then tell him that his lonesome nights are over. Send it, I'm so alone. Don't have nobody to call my own. Please turn on your magic beat. Bum 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 b